Hey, this is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. Hello, my friends. This is Scott Klosowski. It's time for another podcast in the series on machine intelligence. Uh, This is our second to last one, a really important podcast about smart sensors, smart devices, and how devices and sensors are coming together to create an ambient mesh in our life. And I'll explain more about the ambient mesh as we go along. Hey, let me start off with a story like I normally do. At our house, I put in an intelligent sprinkler controller. Uh, intelligence because it's connected to the internet, it's connected to a mobile app, uh, and the device itself uh, is able to check the weather, make decisions on its own about whether it's going to run or not. And all of that is good. In fact, it's intelligent enough that it talks to me. It talks to me and it tells me that it ran and that it completed its cycle. It talks to me and tells me if it's going to wait because Uh, It expects that there's going to be rain or there's already been rain. In fact, it will sometimes talk to me and tell me that it's not going to sprinkle the yard, uh, water the lawn, uh, because of the wind and that there's a wind advisory. And I find that very interesting because the smart device on its own is deciding that, hey, I can't effectively water the lawn because the wind is going to be blowing uh, the water patterns, you know, in some way different than it should be. And I chuckle every time it alerts me to say that it doesn't want to run because it's too windy. Uh, Smart devices uh, are something that I'll describe more and more as we go along. We'll just kind of unpack sensors versus devices uh, and the role they play in our lives. We also have a huge amount of uh, smart devices um, being developed in the world. I mean, anyone who's making any kind of consumer electronic or any type of machine is interested in making it a quote-unquote smart machine. And we've talked before about the words and the problem with the words, and uh, it's important here that we uh, talk about the words as well. And what does it mean when something is a smart device? Now, let's just take it from the top. In the machine intelligence world, we're covering what is the ecosystem? What are all the parts of machine intelligence? Now, the role of smart devices and sensors are that they are our eyes and ears, right? They, they, the sensors be, create data. They be able to see the world, hear the world, smell the world the same way we would as human beings. Uh, they do it on our behalf. And then more and more, those sensors are being able to be connected to the devices or what I'll just call the helpers. All of the different pieces of equipment, machines, smart devices that help us with what we do. And so this is what we want to cover today is the combination of these sensors that can understand the world in a way that a human might understand the world. And then also mixed with these devices that are the helpers that do tasks for us in the world. 
So let's let's take it in, in this order. I want to start with the sensors. Now, a sensor uh, comes in many different shapes and sizes. Some do one single thing, like they can just see or they can just hear. And then there are multi-sensors. They can do multiple types of things. For example, you can put a sensor into a room. It can sense the temperature. Uh, it can sensor the CO2 levels in the room. It can sense, you know, a number of other things that could be going on with a room. All right, so we have sensors. And, and the way that we have to think about the sensors are uh, that they listen. They can listen on our behalf. Obviously, there are sensors in an, an Amazon Echo, and it is listening all the time for us to talk to them. But there are also sensors that can listen for sounds that are out of the ordinary, sounds that should trigger some kind of alert or alarm. We have sensors that can see, literally can see, and not only in the same spectrums we see as a human being, these sensors could read a license plate at night because it's their infrared and we don't see an infrared. And so we have sensors that can see like we see. We have sensors that can smell. They actually can test what is in the air and they can smell maybe in a different way than a human being smells, uh, but they can sense what is in the air. And then we have sensors that can feel right? They can feel, they understand touch, they understand if something is solid or something is not solid. Uh, so I'll stop there. Sensors basically replicate the same human senses that we have. Why do they do that? Because as human beings, we have a way that we perceive the world through our senses, and it is the way that we understand how to manipulate the world around us or how to understand the world around us, is we use these combinations of the senses that we have so we have replicated those with electronics, with software, right, with machinery. So we have sensors. It's important to understand we have a very large inventory of sensors that are getting smaller, getting more accurate, uh, getting less expensive all of the time, right? which means we will have more and more sensors built into everything. Now, just so you have a, a complete sweep of sensors, let's just look at examples. I had started to say about a room and how you can put a sensor in a room, right, that can sense the environment of the room. Now, that could be a motion detector, right? That could be temperature, as I mentioned. It could be CO2 levels. So let's take CO2 levels. If you had that type of sensor in a room, it's going to understand how many humans are in that room breathing, or maybe how heavily the humans in the room are breathing. I'm not sure. But anyway, we generate CO2 as humans. If there's no CO2 being generated in the room, good chance there's no humans in the room. But if there's a huge amount of CO2 being generated in the room, a sensor would then tell uh, an HVAC system, hey, we need to dump more air into that room. Like we need to circulate more air and lower the, the quantity of CO2, raise the quantity of oxygen. That would be the value of a sensor that understands CO2. Now, as a human being, Sometimes we can sense that, hey, the room's getting a little stuffy. Might be the way we would say it to ourselves. It's getting a little stuffy, right? We can't tell that there's an excess amount of CO2 in the room. It just doesn't feel like there's fresh oxygen in the room. And so we might cycle the air as well. We just wouldn't be as accurate as a CO2 sensor. So in other words, we have lots of sensors that can be in rooms. Add up all those sensors, you have a smart building, you know, smart home. Let's look at a different example, a farm. Today on a farm uh, or a ranch, 
We have all kinds of sensors that farmers can use. They can have soil sensors. They can put sensors on plants. They can put sensors on cows. They can put sensors on everything that they are growing, okay, their product. And the reason they need sensors on those is because they're trying to get to uh, precision farming. In other words, they're trying to have the best possible yields for their products that they can have. Well, to get the best possible yields, they need a ton of sensors. So they have sensors on all their products, but they also have lots of sensors on their farm equipment. And then they pull all of this data into a farm management system, right, driven by sensors that are creating awareness for them across their entire 2,000 acres, let's say. Hey, let's look at the last example. When we think about what Apple's doing with the Apple Watch or Fitbits uh, or any device that you put on your wrist or that is a wearable that has sensors in it that can understand your body, and we're in the early days, maybe we can only understand heart rate or we can understand a little bit about sleep patterns, you know, maybe we can start understanding a little bit about uh, arrhythmias. Uh, you know, I, we've talked about this before in, the, in our health series that we'll soon be able to understand sugar levels and skin acidity. And, you know, my guess is 30 different things that the sensors will be able to tell us from us wearing a wearable. And, of course, having access to that data gives us a huge ability to be more accurate with what we're doing with health. Uh, whether that's just trying to be a little more healthy or whether it's trying to protect ourselves from some disaster. So there, there is an infinite amount of examples of how sensors are being used today to be able to understand and harvest data. Now let's talk about that for a second. When you think about a farm and you think about having a thousand sensors across the farm and then try to uh, understand and imagine the huge amounts of data uh, that can now be extracted from that farm. Now, in the past, a farmer and their family could walk the farm. I mean, they could walk around and they could try to observe things. And so they would be able to extrapolate data as well. But there is no way, no way, no matter how many human beings you have walking that farm, that you would be able to extract data with the accuracy that a number of sensors could extract the data at that farm. So that's one of the things we have to understand about putting sensors into a building or sensors into a vehicle or on our wrists or in a farm, is that the, the sensors are able to extract massive amounts of data that then can be processed so that we can now use it, whether it's for alerts or calculations or predictive analytics. Right? We now have raw material of data to be able to make better decisions. Now, when I said the farmer has to, to have a thousands of sensors that all go to a farm management system, you know, a picture to have in your head is we've already talked about AI and machine learning and deep learning, right? You've got to have an intelligent system that sits on top of all of these sensors because it's virtually impossible for a human to be able to digest the volume of data that is coming across those sensors and make sense of it. And so almost always with sensors today, we have to have some type of intelligence system that is harvesting the data from those sensors, which is massive, and then trying to make some sense of it as far as whatever we're trying to accomplish uh, in our human world. All right, let's move on from sensors to smart devices 
And then we'll come back and we'll mix these things all into the ambient mesh. So a device can be any type of product, machine, that has a a, a purpose and a mission that is more than just sensing. Okay, again, I call them helpers. Okay, so so the device, the machine... Right. It, it, it could be small and something that's very simple, has one specific job, like maybe a smart lock on a home. It has one specific job. Keep the house locked unless you see my fingerprint or I put a code in or I use my mobile app to open you. That's it. Right. That, that would be a simple device. Or it could be a very complicated device like an autonomous car. Right, that's still a device, and it's still an intelligent device, growing more intelligent all the time uh, as they become more autonomous. But that also, to me, is a device. It's just a much more complicated device. And it, it, it's important that we understand, you know, when you hear terms like IoT, the Internet of Things, I hate the word things because it's just such a general word, uh, but uh, the whole concept behind Internet of Things was that the things would be all of these sensors, all of these devices, all connected by the Internet. Right? That's, that's why we got this term IoT, right? Internet of Things. I just think it's more precise to talk about devices uh, than just say things. Now, uh, obviously, we have invented devices uh, so that they could be connected to the Internet. That was the first thing that we did, right? We just wanted to have a device be connected to the internet to do one of two things. Either we could control the device through a a mobile app because the device was connected through the internet now, or the device is connected to the internet so that it it can get its own instructions, right? It can do its own work by just accessing the internet. But that was kind of the first stage of, you know, what we called a smart device. It actually wasn't smart. It was just connected. And, and that's an important thing to understand is that, that vocabulary that I talked about before. So let's do it this way. Let's say the first thing that was developed was a connected device, right? It, it couldn't do anything on its own, but it was at least connected to us or connected to something through the Internet. It didn't have any local intelligence, right? It had to wait until something told it what to do, but it did have an Internet connection, I don't call that a smart device, although a lot of marketing people do. I just call that a connected device. The next level up, that would be a smart device. That, that's a device that has some local intelligence. All right. So it, it now makes decisions on its own without having to reach out through the Internet to me or anybody else or anything else to try to tell it what to do. So that would be a big difference from a connected device just connected to the Internet to a smart device, hey, it can make a lot of de- decisions on its own if it needs to be. And then I'm going to give you a third one, edge intelligence. So edge intelligence is the concept when devices can talk to each other and make their own decisions because they're talking to e- talking to each other in a group or as a community of devices. So let's go back to my sprinkler system. This is the easiest way to look at this. Uh When we first put in a sprinkler system, or somebody else put it in, actually, I didn't put it in, it was an analog device, right? I had to go, I had to literally hit switches in my garage to make the sprinkler system sprinkle, had zero intelligence, zero connectivity. When I put in the new controller, it was both a connected device and a smart device. 
It was connected to the internet, so it could go out and check the weather all on its own. Didn't need me to do that. But it was also a, a smart device, right, because it knew if it checked the weather based on certain conditions that it would turn itself on and off, even in the wind, right? Or if it's freezing outside, it also makes a decision. It says, hey, it's freezing, it's too cold, I'm not going to run. Okay, so it has some intelligence, so it's both a connected device. I can control it with my, uh, my uh, mobile device from anywhere in the world. Uh, and then it also is a smart device. Now, someday, my sprinkler system will have edge intelligence. Each of the sprinkler heads will talk to each other, and they will tell each other how much water they need. And so one sprinkler head will say, look, I don't need any water. It's already really wet here. Right? And another sprinkler head will say, man, it's bone dry over here. Right? So let's take your 10 minutes. You forget you being a sprinkler head. And then let's throw your 10 minutes over on mine. Now I got 20 minutes right? because I need to do something with my part of the yard. Right? That would be a system with edge intelligence. Not only the sprinkler head has some intelligence to tell the system, you know, hey, uh, we should water today. But they can actually get together as a collection of sprinkler heads and help make decisions on their own so that I don't have to. Okay, so analog device, what it used to be, connected device, what it was when it got connected to the internet, a smart device when it starts making decisions on whether to uh, water the lawn or not. Edge intelligence is not here yet, but it will be. It's just a matter of time till they put smart sprinkler heads in the ground, and now we'll have edge intelligence. All right, so what is what is what are smart devices? What are, you know? What do devices do for us? Let's think about that for a second. Uh, they take over work for us. I mean, the sprinkler system already had taken over work. I didn't have to go sprinkle the lawn, and when I was a kid, we had to do that. We had to pull the hose around with the you know the three or four different types of sprinklers that you'd put on them, and you had to water the lawn by hand. The analog sprinkler took care of that for me. Right, but the intelligent sprinkler made it even easier. I don't have to worry about the fact that it's going to run automatically all the time unless I go turn it off manually. Right, so a connected device can take over more and more work from us. They allow us to control them remotely. You know, not a small thing that anywhere in the country I have access to my smart home. Anywhere in my country, in the country, I have access to my sprinkler. Right, so. That, that's not a small thing because when I need it, I need it. I need to be able to access things remotely. I can access our security cameras from anywhere in the world, our ring doorbell from anywhere in the world. Some of you can do the same. So smart devices allow us to access them remotely. And added up, you know, they, they provide a lot of convenience. Uh, and we'll talk more about what we get when we talk about why I'm so optimistic about the ambient mesh. But I'm just trying to be clear. You know, there's a reason why we're building these things. We're building them because they take work off our shoulders. Uh, they allow us to, to control them, and they talk to us, we talk to them remotely, which adds up to they provide a lot of conveniences in our life. And it's important to understand, we're just getting started. Like, we are just getting started with smart devices. You know, when I talk about digital transformation and I say, okay, well, we're in Web 3.0 now, right? The connection of devices as opposed to the connection of companies or organizations and, and as opposed to the connection of people, right? Now we've moved into the connection of devices. So <clears throat> it, it's important to understand that 
that there's a reason why we are building these out so fast, but also to understand that maybe we're only 10, 15% down the road with the types of smart devices that we're going to be able to build. And I, I just say that so that you, you understand when I start talking about the ambient mesh, the mesh is in its early days, but it's starting, right? A mesh of devices that can all talk to each other. It's in its early days. Not everything is intelligent right now, okay? We typically don't have an intelligent bathtub. You know, we typically don't have intelligent chairs that we sit in, right? There's a lot of things that, you know, things, devices, machines, equipment that we interface with in our lives that are not completely intelligent. Hey, we've seen manufacturers that have shown pictures or, you know, started to sell intelligent refrigerators for years, right? But we still don't have those as mainstream. We don't have intelligent dishwashers. We don't have intelligent ovens, microwaves, uh, washers and dryers in a lot of cases. Yes, some of those are starting to be internet connected, but, you know, are they completely smart devices? No. And I only share this. We are still in the early days uh, of machines being able to all be intelligent. Uh, and that's the picture that I want you to hold is when we talk about the ambient mesh, there'll be many, many, many more devices joining what that mesh looks like. All right, so let's mix the sensors and the smart devices to start having this picture of the mesh, right? Devices everywhere in our lives, talking to each other, helping us live, right? We, we are walking around in a world that will feel like it has come alive around us. I don't mean the natural world that has always been alive, trees, you know, animals, right? The natural world. I mean a technology world that will feel like it is coming alive around us, that we exist integrated into that world or that world integrated into our lives. Let me give you an example. You walk on the campus, right? You walk onto a college campus. Uh, if you imagine a college campus that, that is uh, a thousand times more automated than what we have today, uh, a thousand times more sensors and smart devices than what we have today. Uh, that's what it's going to be like. And when you walk onto the campus, the campus will know you. Why? Because you'll have some identifying characteristic, a chip, you know, uh, uh, some device, you know, or just through biometrics, right? The campus knows you. It knows when you walk on that you belong on the campus and it knows a ton of information about you. And everywhere you go on the campus, and I mean everywhere, right, you're being monitored, N not, you know, as some kind of overlord, but being monitored for your own safety, right, being monitored to try to be helpful to you, uh, to try to understand how to provide conveniences in your way as you go through campus. Uh, this is no different if we're talking about a smart city and what a smart city is going to look like uh, in the future, right, that your environment knows you. It knows you because it is an ambient mesh of sensors and devices, and that knowing you uh, will be very helpful to your life. So let me talk a little bit more about that, about what I'm excited about. 
Even when I paint that picture for you of what a smart city is going to look like, what a campus is going to look like, what your office uh, is going to look like, what your home is going to look like, when I think in terms of environments, uh, that's really where we're going to see the ambient mesh stick out, is when you are in an environment that you are often in. It's going to be different if you're driving your vehicle or your vehicle's driving you on a vacation for 600 miles, right? You're not part of an environment. It, it will be difficult to be in touch with the ambient mesh. Although today, when I'm driving, my, uh, my, my radio is connected to a satellite, which is bringing me the same exact channels no matter where I go, right? And so I am connected a little bit to a satellite mesh, even when I'm driving across country. But, but again, where I'm more excited is the environments that we live in, we work in, we play in, that these environments will be an ambient mesh that know us. Now, if I think about what the mesh does, right, if I'm at home, let's say, uh, the smarter the devices are, the less I'll have to maintain them. Now, I have a decent amount of work I have to do maintaining all of the things in my house. And I have to maintain them because uh, somebody's got to, you know, put chemicals in the pool, right? I mean, somebody's got to change light bulbs. Somebody's got to make sure the dishwasher gets repaired. You know, whatever it is that goes wrong. As devices get smarter and smarter, they will be more self-healing. They'll have more ability to actually call a maintenance person on their own and say, hey, maintenance person, I'm getting ready to go out. Hey, before I do burn up, why don't you come over to the house and fix me, right? So I'll have much less maintenance to do because the devices will know they need to be maintained. And if I ask them to do it, they'll just self-repair, right? Or they will self-manage being repaired. And that's going to be a very different world than we wait for everything to break and then we have to call somebody to come fix it, right? So I am so excited, right, about a world where the, all the devices around me are able to self-maintain, self-heal without me having to do the work or wait till they break. All right. The bigger the mesh gets, the less I will need to do. Just the, the bigger it gets, the less I'll need to do. Again, whether that's at the office, whether that's at home, you know, is, whether it's on a campus I'm on, the bigger the mesh gets, the more functionality it gets, the less work I will need to do. Why? Because we'll put more and more of the little digital helpers connected to the mesh who know what I need done or who know what the group needs done or what the home needs done or what the environment needs done, right? So the, these digital helpers will just take care of that, which just means by its nature, I will have less that I will need to do. All right, the more functionality it gets, the more convenient my life will be. Why? Because the mesh knows me. It knows what I want. It knows what I need. So it's going to work harder to arrange those things I want and need for me. And so it, my life will just become more and more convenient. Right now, there's a lot of things I have to get ready. There's a lot of things I have to take care of. There's a lot of things I have to do for other people. That the ambient mesh, once it knows me and it knows all these other people in my life, it'll be able to do it for them or for us. And so it will create a lot more convenience in my life. Just like if you take a simple example of managing music. I love music. I still have to do a lot of my 
music management by hand. Uh, The system doesn't know exactly the kind of music I like well enough to just download it all, put it all into the places I would like it to be. It's not too far from that. But still, I have to find a song I like usually. I've got to decide what playlist to put it in. And if I don't listen to music for a year, then I completely miss a bunch of music that I might like. Right? Again, as the ambient mesh gets better and better, it would know me. It would just take music that I probably will like, and it would put it into the right playlist for me. I would never miss anything. All right, and this one's a big one. As the ambient mesh gets better and better, it's going to make us safer and more secure. Again, any environment we're in where you have lots of sensors and lots of smart devices, those are going to come together to try to defend against crime or defend against violence, right? Or, or defend against something that might break and cause us uh, physical damage. And so this is one of the things I'm most excited about that we're going to get from the ambient mesh. It is just a world that is safer and more secure because it's going to be more and more difficult to, to be a criminal, to, to do fraud, you know, to injure somebody. When you have an ambient mesh that is always watching and always looking for behavior that is out of the normal. I saw one time, uh, I believe it was an Israeli firm, uh, that was using uh, sensors and cameras to be able to uh, watch a crowd of prisoners and see if any of the prisoners did something that was potentially violent and then would immediately notify uh, the security people. And so uh, I thought this was a fantastic idea, uh, and I just watched how it worked. And what you could see is uh, instead of humans having to sit on a camera and watch uh, and hope, you know, hopefully they're paying attention, hopefully they're quick enough to see that there's something going on, you actually had a set of sensors and devices, cameras, AIs that would watch the behavior of all the people, uh, all the prisoners. Now, the moment I saw that, I thought about all the other possible uses. I think about museums where there has to be a docent in every single room to make sure that nobody touches anything the way they should touch anything or tries to steal anything or hurt anything. And then I thought about how that could all be done with an ambient mesh that guards the museum from any activities that shouldn't happen and how it probably could watch better, react faster right, than even the humans can. So anyway, safer and more secure. So let's review. The ambient mesh made up of sensors and thousands and thousands of different types of smart devices that are getting smarter and smarter and starting to create edge intelligence. And once we have this mesh, it makes our lives more convenient. It gives us more freedom because it is taking away work from us that we don't have to do anymore, which frees up our time. It gives us more freedom. It gives us more safety and security. And again, just think about walking through a world where we have an ambient mesh that is helping us to live our lives. Now, I cannot end there because I know there are some people that are going to say, well, Scott, everything you said seemed pretty creepy to me. So I'm going to live a life where I have thousands of sensors and machines watching everything I'm doing all the time. I mean, isn't that a huge invasion of my privacy? What if I pick my nose, right? Uh, What if I pull my underwear out of my crack, right? You're telling me that the sensors and devices are all going to know exactly what I'm doing. Uh, 
And that is true. There's definitely a trade-off here. I mean, there is a trade-off. If you want complete privacy, you got to live outside the mesh. You got to live off the grid. If you want the convenience, the safety, and all these other things, then you will love the ambient mesh. And I'm not telling you that either one is right or wrong, and that uh, people who decide to live off the grid or outside the mesh, that there's anything wrong with them. It's just a choice we'll make in the future. I am just excited about what the mesh can do for us. But as you know, I'm a huge believer in balance. And so I guarantee you, I don't care how strong this mesh is, if I, if I live to see the full ambient mesh in all of its glory before I die, if I see it, I will tell you this, I will not live in it all the time. I, I will balance when I am in the mesh versus when I am off the grid or outside the mesh. And I will do that just because I believe that's what I'll need to do to remain a healthy human being. Uh, so I do at least want to acknowledge that, that just because we all have a wonderful ambient mesh, and I'm excited about that, doesn't mean that we need to be connected to it or living with inside it, or living inside of it 24-7. We can always choose to be in or out of the mesh as it works for us. All right. The next podcast will be the last one in this series, uh, and what we're going to do is start mixing some of the different machine intelligence elements that we've been talking about, and we're going to cover what cognitive computing looks like. And so this is what happens when we put together different pieces, AIs and uh, machine learning and deep learning and uh, uh, being, you know, having a machine be able to do natural language processing, for example. So anyway, excited to do the last of this series on cognitive computing. Once we're done with that, we're going to move on to a new series on automation. And I'm going to do at least a handful of different uh, podcasts on elements of automation, autonomy, machines becoming autonomous, right? And then systems being automated and what that will do to us in the world. So uh, I hope this uh, explained well where we're going to go in the future with sensors and devices. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again when we do the next one on cognitive computing. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklasowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklosowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents, and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.